The Covenant Podcast exists to discuss doctrine, theology, and the biblical worldview from a covenantal Baptist perspective. We pray that this resource will be edifying to you and glorifying to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, let's get started. So I, uh, so that's that's the starting point of my argument. Would you like me to uh, just kind of uh, walk walk down the rest of it then for you? Yeah, that would be great. Okay. So, all right. With with that whole with that whole thing is the foundation. You come to the whole issue of prophets, and um, uh. The whole issue of prophecy in the Bible is, uh, I'm not going to deny, it's, I think it's indisputable that it's, in some respects, a complicated issue. Um, uh, and, and so I feel like anything I might say here is going to uh, maybe uh, be, <coughs> let's see, justly accused of being a simplistic, and I certainly do have to simplify. Um, but uh, the basic issues are these. Um, the Bible has a very clear and explicit general definition of prophets. And that definition is found in Deuteronomy 18. And beyond all dispute, it claims for prophecy the attribute of infallibility because the prophet is the mouth of God, right? Um, Exodus 4 and 7, Deuteronomy 18, Numbers chapter 12 um, uh, are all key passages here. But Deuteronomy 18 uh, certainly makes clear that a true prophet uh, is the mouth of God and uh, uh, revelation, and, and he is the uh, conduit of direct revelation from God. What he says, God says, All right? Um, another key thing that was really helpful for me to understand uh, uh, and comes out of my teaching doctrine of, word, of the word for years uh, is that uh, the, the, the canon of the Bible, especially of the Old Testament, is to quote the New Testament, where this language is used a dozen to 15 times. The, the Old Testament is the Law and the Prophets, or Moses and the Prophets. Um, that means that, the or to even quote Peter in Second Peter 1, the Old Testament is the prophetic word. And so to claim a prophetic status is to claim to uh, uh, to uh, speak uh, the canonical word of God. That's what it. That's what it means. Um, and uh, on the one hand, I think that the older Pentecostals and Charismatics actually accepted that implication and and claimed that their prophets uh, did speak the word of God. Uh, in the very same sense as the biblical prophets, <clears throat> but um, the continue the third wave continuationist movement associated with men like 
uh, Wayne Grudem and John Piper. Um, actually don't want to make, do not want to make that kind of claim for their prophets. They want to have prophets in the church today, but they don't want to have, that they don't want to have first class prophets. And a lot of Grudem's writings on this subject are intended exactly uh, to, to get away from that implication. He wants to make a distinction. And third wave continuationism in general wants to make a distinction uh, between uh, first level prophecy and second class prophecy. Um, there's just all sorts of things wrong with that. Okay. Uh, uh, first of all, we never have, are given, we, we are given a clear biblical definition of prophecy in Deuteronomy 18. That prophecy requires that prophets be infallible when they prophesy. Um, and there is simply not, there is no other definition of prophecy given in the Bible that, uh, that undoes um, that biblical standard for prophets. <laughs> there just isn't any. And, uh, and so, uh, um, and, 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 and the Jews knew what that standard was. Uh, they read it in their Bibles. They knew what a prophet was. And so if the church is going to come along and have uh, second level prophets, uh, somebody's going to have to change the definition and nobody ever does. There's not a word about it in the New Testament. Furthermore, in Acts chapter 2 and throughout the book of Acts, for instance, um, Old Testament prophecy, which according to Grudem is infallible, and New Testament prophecy, which according to Grudem and friends is not infallible, the same words uh, are used in the same context to speak of both Old and New Testament prophecy. And yet, uh, we are supposed to understand that uh, the same words used in the same context of prophets and prophesying uh, refer in the one case to infallible prophets, and on the other hand, to fallible prophets. It's it's exegetically uh, monstrous, to be honest with you. So um, uh, uh, you come back to the whole issue of prophecy then, and I, I basically make I make the argument uh, uh, after talking about a lot of the ins and outs of this complicated subject uh, that <clears throat> that there are three reasons um, why we have to believe in the cessation of New Testament prophets. First of all, uh, the New Testament prophets were infallible. If there are prophets today, what they say is equivalent to scripture. Um, and uh, they must be treating, treated that way. Um, and, uh, and, and yet most charismatics today don't want to have to have their prophets live up to that standard of infallibility. Um, New Testament prophets were canonical. The form of the Old Testament canon was the law and the prophets, Moses and the prophets. The form of the New Testament canon is the apostles and prophets. To be a prophet is to speak uh, revelation that is on a level with the canon of Scripture. And then 
uh, um, uh, finally, the uh, uh, New Testament prophets were foundational. The church is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. So uh, on that basis, I argue that given the fact that the apostles of Christ has ceased, we can move on to say that the prophets that were associated with them as the foundational, infallible, canonical uh, 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 basis of the church, they also cease. Um, and And then... Uh, the next uh, the issue of tongues, of course, is complicated in its own ways, but the basic issue with regard to tongues is this. The New Testament teaches that tongues are equivalent to prophecy. I think we need to sit here and think about that, but that's the truth. The New Testament teaches that tongues are equivalent to prophecy, um, and uh and so tongues are not simply the ability to speak a language that you haven't learned. Uh, to speak in tongues was to deliver prophecy in a language that you had not learned. And uh, the proof of that is is really everywhere in the New Testament once you, once you see the light of it. Uh, the, that's why tongues and prophecy are mentioned together so often. That's why the content of both tongues and prophecy is speaking mysteries. Um, that's why uh, the apostle says, "I'd rather speak with, I'd rather prophesy than speak in tongues, unless unless there's the gift of interpretation." The implication is, if there's interpretation, tongues is just as good as prophecy. But when you understand what prophecy meant in Scripture, and what a mouthful that is to say that. Uh, that tongues are equivalent to prophecy if there's interpretation. Uh, the implication has to be that tongues was inspired speaking as well. Um, and then the last point is no miracle workers. And here the point I make is that I'm not saying, maybe we can go back and talk about this, I'm not saying there are no miracles in the world today, but I am saying there are no miracle workers, that is to say, there are no men given the gift of working miracles in order to attest the message they're bringing, the infallible message from God. So that's the cascade argument. No apostles of Christ, no prophets, therefore, no tongue speaking, uh, tongue speakers, therefore, and no miracle workers then. I feel like I've been talking an awful lot, but that's the argument. Okay. <laughs> Thank you for for presenting that that for us, and and listeners can can find a fuller explanation in your book. I I have no doubt. the The next thing we want to ask is: Have you had any pushback to this argument from continuationists? And if so, what has it been, and and how would you respond to that pushback? Yeah, good question. Um. Well, I, yeah, I I don't want to be cavalier here, but the main pushback I've had is, well, apostles of Christ are not a gift. And I'm sure what that means is for continuationists and charismatics is that they don't think of the apostles of Christ as being a gift. 
Um, tongue speaking, that's a gift. Prophesying, that's a gift. Being an apostle of Christ is not a gift. But the problem is that in both Ephesians chapter 4 um, and in 1 Corinthians 12, Paul is explicit that it is a gift. Christ gave gifts to the church. Apostles, first mentioned. 1 Corinthians 12 is similar. Uh, let me just get the passage up so I, I don't misquote it. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 28. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helps, administrations, various kinds of tongues. All are not apostles, are they? All are not prophets, are they? All are not teachers, are they? All are not workers of miracles, are they? All do not have gifts of healing. All do not speak with tongues, do they? All do not interpret, do they? Uh, so, But the point is, there, there again, apostles of Christ are mentioned as the first of many uh, gifts given to the church appointed in the church. And the whole passage uh, preceding is about the gifts that Christ has given to the church. When Paul comes to the end to his conclusion, he mentions apostles as the very first gift that Christ has given to his church. And so um, I'm sure that what someone that tries to use my argument is going to hear is what apostles are not a gift. And my response is, yes, they are. And it's, it's really, it's really just that simple. They are a gift, and the Bible says they're a gift in Ephesians 4 and 1 Corinthians 12. And therefore, you cannot say, whatever you say, the, the, the really uh, naive statement that all miraculous gifts continue, um, you really don't believe that. If you believe it, then you got bigger problems than, than prophecy in tongues. What are some of the implications that can stem from taking either one of these positions, continuationism or cessationism? Well, uh, let me just say a word about cessationism. I'm, I'm, really, I'm really eager in my book to um, not take the position that all continuationists and charismatics aren't saved or something like that. Okay. Uh, I, I really tried to take maybe not a softer, uh, gentler a cessationism, but I really tried to acknowledge that, uh, that there are some continuationists that are simply misled, and especially third wave continuationists that I would consider brothers in Christ. I, I think their position is dangerous, but I wouldn't call it heresy. Another thing that I'm concerned to say is, look, I'm not saying that God doesn't do miracles in the world today. <clears throat> I don't want to take the position that God has somehow locked himself out of the world after the death of the last apostle. That is absolutely not what I want to say. Um, uh, God can do miracles. I am not arguing that there are no miracles in the world today. I am only arguing that there are no miracle workers attesting a, attesting a message of divine revelation. That's what I'm arguing. You see, it's one thing for a group of people to get together and pray for somebody who's dying of cancer and for that person to be miraculously healed. Not one of the persons praying claimed to be a miracle worker. Okay. <laughs> and, uh, 
that's not that's not that's not miracle workers. That's God doing a miracle. Similarly, I'm not saying that God doesn't give has never given some missionary someplace miraculous facility to speak a language that he never spoke before to to preach the gospel. Again, uh, I can admit that God might have done that. But that's not tongue speaking because tongue speaking is prophecy. It's a form of prophecy, and that means it's a, it's it's direct revelation from God. Okay, so uh, th- those would be some of my concerns uh, with regard to cessationism. Um, yes, there are lots of Pentecostals, charismatic uh, teachers and preachers out there that are frauds, that are false prophets, that are going to hell. But I don't want to say that about absolutely everybody especially about those people that, however misguided it is, have some sort of uh, idea of a second-level prophecy that's not infallible, okay? I mean, I think that's a really wrong and dangerous idea, but I don't think it means they're unsafe. Um, so, but my b- biggest concerns about continuationism is that, uh, and it muddles the di- it muddies the difference. I think this is the biggest one between inspiration and illumination um, and uh, and between the canon and the uh, work of the spirit giving light uh, on the canon to our minds, okay? Um, when you start talking about some sort of level of prophecy and miraculous gift, that's not quite canonical, um, even the third wave continuous continuationist I'm thinking of now. Uh, but it's not just illumination. I think you're beginning to muddy and obscure a really important distinction, a, cr- a foundational distinction uh, that's really important to uh, the Christian faith. I also think that the uh, looking for these gifts of uh, prophecy and tongue speaking uh, uh distracts Christians from a single-minded focus on the guidance of the Word of God in their lives and uh, and makes them look for some other way of getting God's direction, like when they show up at church on Sunday, maybe some fallible prophet will give them, and not to garble the fashion, a word from God about what they should do. I think that's, I think that's dangerous. I think that uh, this whole emphasis on, 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 um, of continuationism also tends to give too much credence to spiritual impressions. Uh, you don't need to take my word for it. You can go back and read the biography of George Whitfield, who at one point in his life, he was never charismatic or anything like that. That'd be really an anachronism, but, but he did give yeah, way too much credit. He says so uh, with great regret earlier in his ministry to spiritual impressions that I think are a lot like what uh, the third wave continuationists start talking about when they talk about their second level prophecy. And uh, and he, he expressed with great regret some of the foolish things he said and did as a result. And finally, I think that um, the emphasis on prophecies uh, sometimes is dri- driven by a lack of confidence in the sufficiency of the Word of God and and a lack of confidence in the ability of the Word of God to attest itself or its self-authenticating quality. And I think that's a dangerous thing as well.
Our final question is, what are some helpful resources on the subject that, that helped you in coming to your conclusions and that could also help our listeners, aside from your, your own work, of course? <laughs> yeah. Um, hey, um, well, let me just, uh, I got a stack of books here, and I'll just mention them quickly um, that were, have been helpful to me. Now, this book isn't exp- explicitly about the gifts. I'm trying to remember. Um, uh, but this is one of the favorite books that people in our seminary read all the time. It's The Holy Spirit by Sinclair Ferguson. We as- I assign it in Doctrine of Christ and Salvation. And, uh, boy, everybody loves this book, and so do I. Uh, and, it, and it does address the subject, although it addresses far more than that. It's like a biblical theology of the Holy Spirit. Uh, a friend of mine by the name of Michael Beasley, I wrote a book called The Fallible Prophets of New Calvinism. I want to mention that book. Um, I like Donald McLeod's book, The Spirit of Promise. Uh, this was an interesting book, My Search for Charismatic Reality by a fellow by the name of Neil Babcock. Uh, has some interesting stuff in it. Uh, famous book uh, by B.B. Warfield on counterfeit miracles. Uh, I think this is a valuable book by Walt Chantry called The Signs of the Apostles. Um, I think the position paper concerning the continuance of revelatory gifts in the present day um, put out by Arbka uh, in March of 2000 was a really helpful uh, is really helpful treatment. You can find that on their website. Uh, this is recommended to me by someone. I don't know if it's in print. I have a spiral bond copy of the book, but it's an evaluation of claims to charismatic gifts by Douglas Judish, J-U-D-I-S. C-H. There's also a book, uh, a larger book. Um, And I'm trying to, uh, let me see. Um, I can't can't get the name back right now, so I'm not going to delay you with it. Uh, On the Holy Spirit by a Lutheran man. I'm trying to get his name back on the spur of the moment here. uh, That I thought was really helpful. I think it's on the baptism of the Holy Spirit or something like that. But I apologize. I can't. I can't find the name for that in my mind right now. So those are some books that I think will be helpful uh, to to anyone that wants to study the issue. Doctor Waldron, we have thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. I know Jimmy and I have, and I know our audience will too. So uh, we're thankful for you and uh, your willingness to come on the podcast to discuss this important issue today. Great, brother, and it's always good to be able to talk to uh, students from uh, Covenant Baptist Theological Seminary and have the opportunity to represent the seminary uh, on this podcast. This episode is brought to you by our friends at Covenant Baptist Theological Seminary. CBTS exists to provide ministerial training in the context of a confessional local church. They are, among other things, confessional, Baptist, affordable, and accessible. They are also now fully accredited 
by the Association of Reformed Theological Seminaries. You can learn more about them at their website, which is cbtseminary.org. Again, that is cbtseminary.org. Thank you for listening to the Covenant Podcast. If you've enjoyed this resource, or you simply like the Covenant Podcast, head on over to our iTunes page, subscribe, and leave us a review. We are also available via Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, YouTube, and Podbean. Thank you for listening to the Covenant Podcast. Grace and peace to you.